Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Acts chapter 20. I'll meet you over there in just a moment. Acts chapter 20, where we left off last week. We'll be picking up this morning in verse number 28. And sometimes when folks realize that it's their last opportunity to talk with someone that they love, perhaps they're anticipating that their death is coming, or perhaps they're anticipating that they will never see that person again, Sometimes people will take the opportunity to share some things that are on their heart as a serious reminder of responsibility and perhaps even some words of warning. And this is exactly what we find in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 38. It's the the last occasion that Paul will have to speak with the pastors or the elders of the church at Ephesus. He has called them to himself to speak with them about some important matters of ministry. We know that Paul had spent three years in the city of Ephesus laboring to and with these men. These men were the direct product of his ministry, and he was recognizing that it was unlikely or perhaps even impossible for him to ever return to Ephesus, and he was aware that he would not see most of these men Ever again. And in these verses, verses 28 through 38, he shares with them his heart. And you'll see as we read the text in just a moment that he shares with them a very serious warning about the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in as the people of God. And so let's direct our attention, if you would, to Acts chapter 20, verse number 28. We'll read down through verse number 38. And then we'll dig into the text this morning. The scripture says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore. And fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Now you can probably picture the scene in your mind in verse 28. As Paul has gathered these elders, these pastors around him, and he's speaking 
to them words that no, no doubt he had spoken to them at times in the past, but he feels it's especially important and appropriate for him to emphasize these truths again to these men in what he believes to be the last time that he speaks with them. And he shares with them something of his heart. And you notice that's what, what's on his heart is the idea that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. And so he, he shares several things with them, three of which we want to take note of this morning in our thoughts. And I want you to see, first of all, that he shares with them a caution or something to be aware of. Now, yesterday we were coming back from, uh, from cross town and we were getting on the highway and I noticed that there was a digital billboard that was flashing a message in the afternoon. Caution, be aware of changing conditions because of snow squalls. How many of you had your phone go off yesterday to warn you about that? And so uh, there was a warning on the billboard to say there, there could be something come up, something that you would encounter. And I don't know if you've ever been driving on the highway and entered into a snow squall, but it certainly can change the conditions very quickly. You can go from sunshine and clear roads to ice-covered roads and blinding snow and not being able to see almost instantaneously. And so the reason they had that warning is because there was something that might happen that you need to pay attention to. Now, think about Paul's warning in these verses as a billboard to these pastors to say to them, there's something you need to pay attention to. He uses the phrase, take heed. And that's the same idea as pay attention or be alert or be aware. Watch out. There's something for you to pay attention to. I'd like to say that so many times in our Christian lives, we find ourselves in autopilot as believers, and we lose the sense of urgency and the sense of spiritual danger that exists all around us. And I think Paul was aware of that. Certainly the Holy Spirit is aware of that. And, and this is why it's recorded in the scripture to say to us, Watch out, there's something to pay attention to. Now, remember he's talking to pastors, to men who are to minister with the word of God to the, to the church. And we'll talk about that in particular in just a moment. But notice that the first thing he says to them in verse 28 is that they need to take heed unto yourselves. Pay attention to what is going on in your own heart. And I'd like to point out to you that not just for every Christian, but particularly for those who are in a place of spiritual leadership, there can be places of temptation. And not least of which of these temptations is pride and self-sufficiency, which he's going to address a little farther down. And so he's warning these preachers, these pastors, he's saying to them, be careful, be cautious, not to allow sin to reign in your life. Now you might think, this to be strange, why would the man of God be warning other men of God about the presence or the possibility of the presence of sin in their lives? And it's something for us to pay attention to, because if this could be true of someone who's in a, in a place of spiritual leadership, then all of us need to be aware of the reality 
of sin and temptation. So he says, take heed unto yourselves. The idea is, learn to pay attention to what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what it is that is that is informing the decisions that you are making. Uh, make sure that you are really alert to what is going on inside of yourself so that you can watch for the warning signs that you may be stepping away from the Lord. So he says, pay attention or take heed unto yourselves. Then he says, take heed unto the flock. And he's referring clearly here to the church, which is what he speaks about a little bit farther down in verse 28. So he's saying that the church of God, a New Testament church, is a flock. And of course, a flock refers to a group of sheep that is taken care of by a shepherd that watches over them, or perhaps depending on the size of that flock, maybe several shepherds that care for those sheep. And so he says to these pastors, don't just pay attention to yourself or take heed to yourself, but take heed to what is going on in the flock, in, in the lives of the people that you, are, that you are ministering to spiritually. Make sure that you know what is going on. It is imperative for a pastor to know the people that God has given him to watch over. And this could only come about by spending time together and by building some sort of a mutual attitude of trust. But something that I've learned is that trust is something that is earned. Trust is not freely given. A trust is something that has to be earned. And so he says to these Men, you, you have a responsibility to watch over the flock. Now, it's not necessarily flattering that God uses the descriptor of a flock of sheep to speak about the church, a New Testament church, and us as believers. Uh, there, there are some analogies which are less than flattering. There are some other analogies which are quite endearing, especially concerning the, the, the position and the place of a shepherd in his ministry to the flock, but here Paul is reminding these men that they have a very specific ministry and calling. He speaks more about this in verse 28 and what it means for them to take heed to the flock. He says in verse 28 that the Holy Ghost has made them overseers over this flock. And that word overseers means that the pastor or the pastors oversee the work of the ministry in the Lord's church. And so a church is to be engaged in the Great Commission, in the work of God, and it's the job of, of the pastors to oversee that work, to make sure that the work is kept within the boundaries of Scripture, and to keep the, the ministry moving in the direction that God wants it to move in. So it's critical that a pastor would be doing the job that God has called him to do, so that the work would be able to go on. And this has all kinds of implications. There are people today who have taken the position that the, the office of a pastor is simply to stand publicly and teach and preach the Word of God and nothing more, that he has no oversight responsibility in the, in the church. But to take that position, you would have to exclude much of what the Bible says about the office of the pastor. It is his job to be an overseer. In fact, one of the, one of the words that speaks about this is a title that is given to a pastor, and that is the title, the bishop. 
over a church. And, and it has the idea of oversight, of, uh, of management, of making sure that what is being done is according to the will of God. And so Paul says, hey, you guys need to pay attention. The Holy Ghost has made you overseers over the flock. And then he says this, to feed the church of God. And when he speaks about feeding the flock or feeding the church of God, he's referring to a spiritual feeding, a spiritual sustenance. And this kind of feeding takes place both privately in discipleship and publicly in the declaration and teaching of the Word of God. You know, it's a sad thing that there are many, many teachers that are all around us in the culture who are speaking messages that people are collecting and learning from. We'll say more about that in a moment. And, and honestly, sometimes as a pastor, it's frustrating because, you know, if I pay attention to what is posted on Facebook and I see the kinds of teachers that are being followed I want to stand up and say, just stop. They're they're heretics. They're teaching false doctrine. But I also know that I, as a pastor, I have very little control over the choices that people make in their personal life of who they're going to allow to speak into their life. And you say, well, what is a pastor to do? And I think there is a place maybe for confrontation at times, for warning by name and saying, hey, this is a false teacher, watch out for them. But predominantly the way to deal with this is to feed the flock of God. And if you feed people sound doctrine and you teach them what the Bible says and you show them in the scriptures, this is why we believe what we believe, that becomes a strong deterrent to false teaching because individual believers now have some discernment and they can sift through the messages that are being proclaimed across the airwaves. And so understand that it's the pastor's responsibility to feed the flock of God. Uh, when, when we stand in the pulpit, when we stand behind a podium and teach in a classroom, or when we sit one-on-one and deal with individual issues in people's private lives, there's a responsibility to expound and apply the Word of God and feed people spiritually because people are desperate for spiritual sustenance. You know, the sad truth is that in many places that call themselves churches, there is little to no declaration of what the Bible says. There's almost an active discouragement from people looking into the scriptures. Rather, there's a lot of other things that are called church activities or religious activities without the plain declaration of God's word. And so I want to say that it ought to be common in churches that preachers stand up and they teach and they preach and they show from the scriptures, this is what God says. This is why we believe what we believe. This is feeding the flock of God. And this is a responsibility that is given. Now, there's a reason for this responsibility. But before we get to that reason... I want you to notice concerning the church of God, concerning a New Testament church, that that church is his church. And it is a church which has been purchased with the precious price of Christ's own blood. And I mean to say, and I want to be very specific and plain here, 
This, Lehigh Valley Baptist Church, is not my church. This church does not belong to me. And sometimes, as preachers, we may use that language, my church, to refer to the church where God has placed us as a pastor. But it's very important to understand that this church is first and foremost, primarily, the church of God. This is Christ's body. This is not my church. And so in that sense, though I have been given some responsibility and God has put me in a, in a position of leadership, it's really me serving under him in this sense that this is his church, which has been bought very dearly with the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, as a pastor, I must be careful that I don't have my own agenda. And we'll see that in just a moment. I need to be careful about not trying to execute my agenda or try to get followers after myself because this is primarily about Jesus Christ being exalted. So he says something very, uh, very frightening, really, after this. And this is the reason for this responsibility that is given to a pastor or to an elder. He says in verse 29, I know this, that after my departing, Shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock? Now, he's building on this metaphor, on this word picture of the church being a flock of sheep. And he says, when I leave, I know for a fact that there are going to be wolves that are going to enter in. Now, who are these wolves? What is he talking about? Well, it's clear in the context that he's talking about people who will come into the church looking like they belong, and then they will begin kind of on the sly, quietly speaking other doctrine to people to try to get them to be swayed from that which has been taught or is actively being taught from the Word of God. So we're warned that the enemy, our spiritual enemy, that Satan, hates God's churches. And one of the things that he does is that he targets true churches with false teachers and false doctrine. And right away, we are tempted to think, well, that would never happen at a place like Lehigh Valley Baptist Church. Couldn't possibly happen in a place like this. And I want to remind you who Paul is talking to at this time. He is speaking to the pastors of the church at Ephesus, which we know to be one of the most powerful and influential churches in the first century that God used greatly. So if Paul felt compelled to warn them about this danger, would it not be appropriate for us also to be aware of the danger of false teachers entering in, of wolves entering into the church? And you notice that they have an agenda, they have a goal. They are not sparing the flock. They are, they are after spiritual destruction in other people's lives. Beware of the fact that that person who comes alongside you and says, I mean, I know what pastor said, but I don't think it's quite that serious. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I don't know that we need to go quite that far. Just be careful. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting this morning that the pastor or pastors are without error or that they could never be wrong. But I am suggesting to you that there is a certain kind of a spiritual creature that likes to sneak around in the back corners 
and cast aspersion on teaching and never really come and say, okay, pastor, let's talk about this face to face. But they like to go around in the back and arrange support for themselves before there's any sort of a confrontation over that doctrine so that they can have a group of supporters around them. That kind of a person causes tremendous damage in a church. And the the damage is spiritual in nature. And you say, well, I'm glad it's not physical. I mean, it would be terrible if you had real wolves going around biting people in the auditorium. Yeah, that would be terrible. But actually, that would be much better than the spiritual damage that can be inflicted from false teachers. Now, accompanying this, he, he warns them of something that is shocking in verse 30. He says, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So not only is there a danger of false teachers coming in from the outside, but he said it is very possible, perhaps even probable, that among those who the church looks to as spiritual leaders there can rise up people who begin teaching something that is different. And he says, the things that they will do, that they will speak about, will be perverse things. And right away in your mind, you're thinking, oh, they're talking about nasty things. They're, they're talking about dirty things, things that they... No, no, the word perverse that is used here is not used in that sense. The word perverse, as it's used in this text, means to twist something. And usually it is a very subtle twisting. It's it's to take something that is true and twist it just this much so it's just a little bit off, which is exactly how Satan often works, right? He He doesn't usually blatantly lie so much as he takes the truth of God and then he twists it around just enough that it gets people off the tracks of biblical Christianity. And so he warns these these pastors, he says, watch out because there will be these people that that, that will rise up and they'll begin twisting things and they'll begin trying to to draw people away from the truth. Now, why are they doing this? Because according to verse 30, they're doing this to draw away disciples after them. So the reason this happens is because of pride. It happens when a man or men start to think, I want to have a following for myself. I want people to respect me. I I want people to know that I'm important. I want to have a following for myself. And so they begin to just subtly change or twist the scriptures so that they can get a following for themselves rather than a following for Christ. You see, a wolf is more concerned about who is following him than he is about who is following Christ. Now, Paul dealt with this very plainly in the book of 1 Corinthians because, as you may recall, in the church at Corinth, there was some schism that was taking place between groups of people, some of whom were saying, I, we follow Paul. And the other group was saying, well, we follow Apollos. And another group was saying, well, we follow Cephas or Peter. And and, and other people said, well, we follow Christ. And he said, this kind of division ought not to exist within a New Testament church. 
Because literally, we all ought to be following Christ. It, we all ought to have our eyes on the Lord. There ought not to be any person in leadership that is trying to get a special following for themselves or special loyalty from certain people to, 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 to cater to them. We must be careful about this because this leads to the dissemination of false doctrine. And so there's a very serious warning, something to be aware of. But now... As, as shocking and as sobering as that is, there's something that's reassuring, which he follows up with. And, and he says in verse number 32, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So not only should we be aware, but second of all, we should be sure. So as, as serious as it is, as concerning as it is that false prophets, wolves can enter in, that people's faith can be disrupted, that, that spiritual progress can be halted, as, as concerning as all these things are, there's something that, it, that he assures them of which gives great confidence. And, and he's able to say, you know, I'm getting ready to leave and, and I know that these, these things will come up, and I know that you're going to encounter them, but I'm very sure of something. And what I'm very sure of is that God is able to keep his church. God is able to preserve his church. So his confidence is expressed in God himself. And he says, brethren, I commend you to God. To, to commend someone to God means I'm committing you to God's care. I'm putting you in, in, in his trust. I'm, I'm trusting that God is going to care for you. You know, when someone, I, I think there's a place, I think as a parent, where you have this feeling, well, if my children are with me, then I can keep them safe. I can protect them. But when they're not with me, then I really can't keep them safe. They're out of my care. Of course, the truth is we know that even our ability to protect our children when we're right there with them is limited. But you know, there is a real sense as a parent where when your child is going somewhere, when they're going to be away for an extended period of time, you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you to care for my child. I'm accustomed to caring for them, but now I need to trust you to care for them. I need you to watch over them and protect them. That's the sense here when Paul says, I'm commending you to God. I'm commending you into God's care. I'm trusting that God is going to take care of the church at Ephesus, that God is going to take care of you as pastors of the church at Ephesus, even though there is a formidable attack from the enemy that is coming, and I know it's coming, I trust God to care for his church. So he is, he, his confidence is in God, and his confidence is also in the word of his grace. And that phrase, the word of his grace, I believe, refers to the scripture. And so we find that God ministers to his people through the word of God. As the scriptures are ministered to people, God is able to take his word and he does a couple of specific things through his word. First of all, he uses his word to build you up. 
And that idea of build you up is the same idea of the word edify, which is used throughout the New Testament in many church contexts. And understand that God's design is to build up the individual members of the church, as well as to build up the church corporately as a whole. God's intention is to build you up. And God is able to do this through all sorts of scriptural means, especially during times of spiritual attack. In fact, you will find that those who remain faithful to the Lord will often grow the most during seasons of temptation and spiritual attack. There's something about that dynamic that causes us to have to look to God and trust Him. And it's in those seasons as we see God move and work on our behalf that our faith is strengthened. And so he says, God is able to build you up and God is also able to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Do you see that in verse 32? God is able to give you an inheritance. Now, this, is, this strikes at the heart of the motivation of a false teacher. Why does a false teacher do what they do? Well, ultimately, if you boil it all down, a false teacher is looking for a reward in this life. Whether that reward is wealth or the praise of men, the respect of others, whatever it is, they're looking for a reward that is centered on this life, what people think about them, what am I going to get for the work of the ministry. But notice that God has an inheritance for us which is out of this world. God has an inheritance for us, a reward for us, which is beyond this life. And Jesus warned his disciples. He said, if you get your reward here, then you've lost your reward there. You have your reward. If that's what you're looking for is the praise of men. If that's what you're looking for is material riches and you get it here, no reward in heaven. Now, if we're, if we're spiritually minded, that ought to scare us as God's people. In other words, I, I, would, I, I don't want to be guilty of exchanging my eternal heavenly reward for something here, which is shallow, not very, it's not going to last very long, it, 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 it isn't satisfying, and yet that which God is offering, and when we speak about rewards in heaven, we speak about His approval, we, we speak about, uh, about His praise, Him co- commending us as faithful servants, and so we, that's something to pursue after. But he says, God is able to give you that inheritance. You see, God is concerned with giving his people an enduring inheritance that lasts into eternity and really matters. And as as God's servants, as God's people, we ought to be concerned about that as well. But notice he's emphasizing his confidence that God can do this. So be aware that false teachers can come. Be sure that God is able to preserve his people. God is able to keep his church. God is able to bring us through those times of temptation and trial. But then, in the latter part of this, as he's saying goodbye to them, he deals with one more thought. And that is this idea that we need to be purposeful. And for this, he goes back to his own example. And he speaks to these pastors from Ephesus 
and he reminds them of his own faithfulness among them. For instance, in verse 31, he says, Remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. He says, you know that as I labored among you, I I didn't ever stop warning you about the spiritual danger that exists. I I was constantly, and, and his emotions were a part of this. He was stirred up in his emotions. And sometimes, sometimes believers can get a little bit, um, I don't know if the word jaded is the right word or, or cynical about a pastor's warnings. And they can say, I mean, come on, pastor, is it really that bad? Is the world really that bad? I mean, we're living in the world. What are you, why are you always warning about sin? Why are you always talking about these negative things? In fact, some, some professing believers have gone so far as to say, I want to go to a church where things are positive. I want to feel good when I leave the services. I'm so tired of going somewhere where it's negative and where it's always talking about sin. I mean, make me feel encouraged and lift me up. And there's a place for being encouraged and a place to be lifted up. But there is a serious place for warning. And Paul said, you know, when I was there for three years, I put my heart into warning the people of the spiritual danger that exists. And I want you to recognize, realize, be reminded this morning that spiritual danger exists on every hand. Spiritual danger is all around us. Then he says, you know my example, verse 33, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. He said, I haven't desired anyone's things. I'm not, in other words, I'm not in this for the money. I'm not doing this for some kind of a financial reward. Covetousness is one of the dangers and temptations that can confront a man in the ministry, just as it can confront any person who is a Christian. And Paul had proven that he was not covetous by his behavior. You see, he wasn't covetous of the things that that people had. He wasn't trying to get something from them. You say, well, how would that affect a man of God? Well, um, he might find himself saying things that would please people so that they would give better offerings, so that they would support him, so that he could get more for himself. And the Bible is clear that this is not the way for the man of God. He might covet what someone else has, their material goods, and wish that he could have that for himself. And in so doing, he might twist or change. Remember, speaking perverse things, twist the truth of God, step back from that which ought to be said because he wants to have more for himself. And Paul said, you know that I've never minced words. I've never stepped away from the truth. I have not coveted anything from anyone. In fact, he said, I've gone so far, verse 34, that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. Literally, what Paul did for much of his ministry was that he worked as a person who made tents. He had a profitable business and he would make those tents and then he would make some profit off of them And he would use that money to fund his own ministry endeavors as well as the the needs of those who were traveling with him, which he refers to. In other words, he said, I'm not afraid of working hard to provide for my needs. Now, this isn't a treatise in verse 34 for a church to withhold support from those who are are engaged in full-time ministry. In fact, in other places in the New Testament, the Bible says 
that it is right, it's, it's proper for a church to take care of the needs of those who minister to them with eternal things. But what Paul is emphasizing is this thought, he's not in it for the money. In other words, when he's contemplating a place where there's a need for the gospel to be preached, he doesn't say, oh, so what are the salary uh, what are the salary specifications before I come? I need to know how much I'm going to make. I-, I need to know whether you're going to meet my needs. That's not how he approached it. He said, if God is leading me somewhere, he's going to take care of me, and I'm willing to work in order to-, to get the things that we need to keep body and soul together. And not only that, but he was also willing to share what he made with others. And it's in this context that he reminds them of the words of the Lord Jesus when Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, we all know that that's true. But that's a hard truth. Because the truth of the matter is, we all like to receive more than we do to give. We all enjoy getting something. And and it's not that we don't like giving. I mean, giving is okay... But what about if you give and give and give and give and get nothing in return? At what point do you say, this is one-sided? I don't think I'm going to give anymore. But now you have to think about it in the context of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he get for what he gave? And Jesus could say with authority, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And that's the kind of attitude that every believer ought to have. This certainly is the attitude that every servant of the Lord ought to have. And so he says in verse 35, this is what I've demonstrated or showed to you. I have demonstrated to you that so laboring. And you know, it, when it comes to ministry, all of us, but particularly those who believe that they are called to be a pastor or an evangelist, all of us ought to be willing to labor in the work of the ministry. We need to be willing to put our shoulder to the wheel and our heart to the work. As a man of God, if I'm not willing to labor, if I'm not willing to work, and and, and by that I mean if I'm not willing to work when no one is watching, if I'm not willing to do the things that need to be done when no one is, is counting the tally, if I'm not willing to to do the menial things. And, and, and sometimes, you know, people will say if they see me with a plunger, Pastor, you shouldn't be doing that. No, I should be doing that. I, just as much as anybody else should be doing that, I should be doing that. If there's a need, I ought to be willing to serve in that way. I'm not above serving in that way. And so Paul says, you ought to be willing to labor. Now, this is something where I need to be an example and, and as church members, you also ought to be willing to labor. So we labor, he says in verse 35, to support the weak. To support the weak. All around us, there are people who have needs. There are people who are weak, both physically and spiritually. And God has called us to support them. Do you ever look around you and realize that there are many people in your immediate circle of influence who are struggling physically. I I think, you know, when we have a snowstorm, this is highlighted, right? There's people in your community, probably in your neighborhood, 
who are no longer capable of getting out there with the shovel and moving that snow. It's, it's going to kill them if they do. Or they're just not able physically to do that anymore. And, and it says something about us as God's people. Do we care about people with those kind of needs? Do we look out for people who are physically weak? But I think it speaks even more about those who are emotionally or spiritually weak. And around us, we have people who have emotional and spiritual needs, people who are bearing heavy burdens, people who are under a weight of sorrow, uh, people who are struggling in their mind with with their thoughts and, and with the perspective of what is true and what is and what is false. There are people who are struggling spiritually, who are, who are trying to follow after the Lord and trying to do what God wants them to do, but they're struggling to get their footing. And we all ought to be concerned. If you're in a place of spiritual strength, which you would assume a pastor is in a place of spiritual strength, then you ought to be looking. It is your job to look for those who need to be supported, those who need some strengthening, and and come along and support those people. And what you'll find is that in giving of yourself, and see, when we think of giving, we often think of giving an offering or giving somebody some money or buying some food for them, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there is a deeper level of giving that is required in the work of the ministry, and that is giving of yourself. It is pouring your life out for someone else. And and what you find is, oftentimes, you pour your life out for someone, and you give of yourself for them, and then they turn, and they walk away. Or they begin to question your motives, or they disregard what you're saying, and they go and do something that they ought not to do when you've pled with them from the Scriptures. This is what the Bible says. Well, I'm going to do what I want to do. And all you can do is watch as they go down a path to destruction. And it's in moments like that that you question, why am I doing this? Maybe it's not worth it. Maybe I just ought to step back. Maybe I ought to just take care of myself, take care of my family, mind my own business, this, this doesn't work out. This doesn't pay. And this is why the Apostle Paul reminded us of the words of the Lord. It's more blessed to give than to receive. In fact, if you are focused solely on the responses of people that you minister to as your reward, you will give up in the work of the ministry very quickly because you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed by what people do and how they respond, and you're going to get frustrated, and finally you're going to say, it's not worth it. And the reason is because you're looking for something for yourself instead of just giving of yourself and trusting God with the results. Now, Paul gave this warning, and he said, you need to be aware. You need to be sure that God will care for you. You need to be purposeful in how you're living your life. Make sure that you are investing your life in others pouring your life out for others. And then in verses 36 through 38, he said goodbye to them, knowing that he would not see them again. You say, how much did did Paul love these men? And how much did these men love him? Well, do you see it in verses 36 through 38? I mean, these guys loved each other. They cared about each other. And they wept sore, is what it says. That means... They were all crying like babies. 
So if you think it's not manly for men to cry, you need to read the Bible and you'll find out that lots of real men cried. They all wept sore. They fell on Paul's neck and they kissed him. And they were sorrowing because of the words that he had said that he would never see them again. And they went and they saw him off. This, this marks a change in Paul's ministry as he heads to Jerusalem. And there's going to be a dramatic shift in what takes place in his life. This will be the beginning of Paul's prison ministry as he, as he seeks to labor for the Lord. And God uses him greatly in that place. But I want you to think for just a moment as we conclude the message today... What does it mean for us to serve God in this generation? Is there a need for us to be aware of false teachers, of wolves that can come in? I I think we would be ignorant to say no. And actually, if we're comparing, we would have to say, according to the record of Scripture, that in the last days, men shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So we don't expect it to get less prominent. We actually expect false teachers to become more prominent. So if it was important in the first century, it's important today for us to be aware. But we also don't need to quake in fear because we can be confident that God is going to keep his church. God is going to keep us. As long as we stay close to him and we lean on him, God is going to take care of our needs. He's going to keep us, he's going to keep us on the right path. And this will enable us to be very purposeful in the way that we invest our lives. And as God's people, we need to be so purposeful in how we invest our days, the minutes of our days, the conversations that God gives to us. Am I giving that which God has given to me freely? Am I giving that to others? Am I purposeful in my life in pouring myself out for others? Or am I withholding hoping to get something from someone else. You say, I, w- I want to be involved in the ministry. That's a wonderful ambition. And people say, how can I be involved in the ministry? It's not hard. Look around you. There's people all over that you know who need to be ministered to. And that is where ministry starts. Ministry doesn't start by standing up in front of the congregation behind the pulpit and saying, here I am, everybody pay attention to me. Ministry really takes place in the trenches one-on-one with people who have real needs, who are weak, who need to be supported, who need you to give so that their spiritual needs can be met. And there's a place for all of us to be involved in that.